Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Investigates. I'm your host, April Glover. Just a warning... This episode deals with distressing and sometimes graphic content. If you or someone you know needs help, call 1-800-RESPECT on 1-800-737-732. On Easter 2015, in Leeton, New South Wales, around five hours from Sydney, a chill hung in the air of the usually bustling country town. Leeton was a quiet, unassuming place. Nothing bad ever seemed to happen there. People kept their doors unlocked, and everyone knew each other at the local grocery store. The worst crime would probably be a scuffle outside of the pub on a Friday night. But five years ago, evil came to Leeton. Tragic for for the family, it's tragic for uh, the people of Leeton, it's tragic for the people of New South Wales and, and society in general. On Easter Sunday 2015... 26-year-old schoolteacher Stephanie Scott said goodbye to her fiancé, Aaron Leeson Woolley, and headed into Leeton High School for a few hours. Stephanie was a drama and English teacher at the local high school, and in a few days' time, she was getting married to the love of her life. Friends and family would tell you just how excited Steph was to become Mrs Leeson Woolley. She'd been planning her wedding for months, and it was nearly here. That Easter, Stephanie had decided to dedicate a few hours to preparing work for her students while she was away on her honeymoon. You see, Steph had a heart of gold. She was adored by anyone and everyone who met her. Spending a Sunday devoted to making sure her pupils wouldn't miss a beat while she was away was typical Steph. But that day at Leeton High, Steph would come face to face with a monster. The excited bride-to-be was brutally murdered just days before she was due to say I do. The story of her death is utterly heartbreaking and touched so many people, some who had never even met her, including Leeton journalist Monique Patterson. Monique, who once edited the local paper The Irrigator, wrote a book on Stephanie's murder and the effect it had on the town of Leeton. She joins us on today's episode. So your book, United in Grief, starts off by telling the reader about the town of Leeton, the place where teacher Stephanie Scott lived and sadly when she died. Can you tell me a little bit about the New South Wales country town of Leeton? Absolutely. Well, Leeton has a population of about, I think it's a little over 11,000 now. It's known as the rice capital of Australia. It is about 40 minutes drive from Griffith. And I think it's about an hour away from Wagga Wagga, which is known locally just as Wagga. And it's a very typical country town. Very much when people walk down the street, people tend to know everyone and stop and linger 
to have a chat. People are always grabbing milk or newspaper at the news agency and always stay for a couple of minutes extra to have a chat to a couple of people they'll see when they're out on their um, regular outings. And very much laid back vibe about it. One of those small towns where they're kind of on country time. No one seems to be in a, a real rush and not a town where a lot of crime happens. Probably the biggest crime that I would have reported on when I was the editor of The Irrigator was perhaps a bit of a scuffle outside one of the two local pubs on a Saturday night. The odd break into a house, but not much really in terms of crime back when I was the editor of The Irrigator. So as a journalist around the town of Leeton, would you say it's quite an innocent, unassuming location for such a barbaric crime to take place? There would have been no way that anyone in that town would have ever thought that anything even remotely similar to this would ever happen in Leeton. And who was Stephanie Scott, Monique? What kind of person was she? One of the main reasons that I wanted to write the story is because she had an impact on the lives of every single person she met. She was extremely kind, compassionate. She was a teacher. She'd followed in the footsteps of her father, Robert, and she became a teacher. And she was much more than a teacher to her students. She was a real mentor to them, someone that they came to for advice about school issues and even issues they were having outside of school. And she really cared about her students and she was really selfless. She always put other people before herself. And one way that she did that was that she didn't mind having a a laugh at her own expense. She was happy to point out her own flaws. And one of the main reasons that I'm told that she did that was to make people around her feel comfortable and to make sure that everyone knew that they could just be themselves around her. She was just a kind, caring soul, one of the best people that I've ever heard talked about, to be honest. And there's not a week that goes by, even five years on, that I don't think about Stephanie and the hole that she left in the hearts of so many people when she was killed. As you say, Stephanie had a lot going on in her life. She was a dedicated teacher who adored her pupils, they adored her, and she was actually due to get married just after Easter in 2015, wasn't she? She was. So basically the day that she went missing was Easter Sunday. She was set to get married the following Saturday. She was going to marry her high school sweetheart, Aaron Leeson Woolley, and she was so excited on the last day of the school term Her fellow colleagues had a little bit of a morning tea celebration for her because she was going to be going on her honeymoon when the school term came back. And they all just said that she was the happiest that they'd ever seen her. She was always happy, but she was exceptionally happy and excited about what she said was going to be the best day of her life. So what Stephanie was actually doing on April 5th, 2015 was sort of a sliding doors moment for her, wasn't it? Can you tell me about that day? Yeah, well, as I said earlier, she was very selfless and she always thought about other people. 
And on this day, her top priority was her students and the substitute teacher who was going to be replacing her when she went on her honeymoon. And what that led her to do was to go into Leeton High School on Easter Sunday. And she went into school because she was doing some final preparations for the substitute teacher. She wanted to make sure that the teacher knew everything that they needed to know in her absence. And she didn't want any of her students to miss out or fall behind when she was going to be on her honeymoon with Aaron. So Stephanie was due to come home that evening and have dinner with her fiancé, Aaron, but she didn't. And in your book, you describe Aaron's emotions and what he's going through and the distress of waiting for her her car to pull up in the driveway. Can you tell me a bit about what Aaron was going through? Yeah, well, what happened was they had both been invited to a party in their hometown of Canoundra. That was on the Saturday night. Stephanie told Aaron that she wasn't going to go because she wanted to do the final preparations at school and she also had a few things to tick off the to-do list for the wedding. And so he had been to the party and they talked on Saturday night and again on Sunday morning. Stephanie told Aaron that she was going into school and he left Canoundra and He had his phone charged and planned on calling Stephanie at some stage on the trip home. And he called and texted a few times and was a bit surprised that she didn't answer. And he kind of thought, oh, perhaps she's busy at school and her phone's just gone flat. He arrived home and, as you said, the two were going to go out for dinner that night. And he was a bit surprised that Stephanie's red Mazda wasn't in the driveway. And so he went inside and when he couldn't contact her on her phone, he didn't know what to do. So he got back in his car and he drove around Leeton. He drove past the school. There's basically one main street in Leeton. So he drove down that street and past supermarkets to see if he could see her car. And he couldn't. So he came home, he cancelled their reservations at the restaurant and he began to call and text anyone he could think of that may know where Stephanie was and this was work colleagues and friends in Leeton and no one had seen her. And so he began to worry and he went to bed that night and a deep dread really set in for him because He later said that in the couple's five-year relationship, they'd never gone more than a couple of hours without checking in on each other, even if it was just with a text message. So he didn't get any sleep that night and basically was was listening out for any sounds, hoping that it might have been Stephanie's car pulling into the driveway and her bounding in through the front door, sharing with him some funny story about where she'd been that they could laugh about for years to come but when the sun shone through the window the next day the driveway was still empty and there was no sign of Stephanie and that's when Aaron knew that he needed to do something so he contacted her parents who like him knew that it was extremely out of character and they got in their car and they drove straight to Leeton. Aaron knew deep down that his bride-to-be would never go so long without calling and checking in. 
but he couldn't understand what had happened to Steph. His fiancée had spent countless hours at the school during weekends and well into the evening to do the best for her kids. Leeton High was a safe place. As I've said earlier, Leeton is a small town. As soon as something interesting takes place, word spreads like wildfire. Stephanie's baffling disappearance then trickled out into the wider media, with journalists from papers in Sydney and beyond flocking to Leeton to learn more about the missing bride. Police divers have joined the search for the body of murdered bride-to-be Stephanie Scott. Once the media learned Stephanie was due to get married the following week, rumours started to fly that the beautiful school teacher was simply a runaway bride. The implication tore apart Aaron and Stephanie's family. They knew she was no runaway. She was over the moon. She was so excited. Steph's sister Robin would tell the papers. And as the days passed, they knew something terrible had happened. But how terrible? They just didn't know yet. Was Stephanie initially treated as a missing person or that foul play had happened? Or were there other sort of rumours or ideas of what may have happened and why she was missing? In terms of the police and her friends and family, they 100% treated it as a missing person from the start. Everyone said that it was extremely out of character. Her parents and Aaron said that the last thing that Stephanie would ever want to do would be to worry her family and friends. They knew that she would never do that. Her friends said that she was so excited about getting married and the police also um, spoke at at length with Aaron and he was very open from the start. I actually also spoke to Aaron pretty early on and he was very open and I asked him some pretty personal questions and he didn't hesitate in answering them at all. For example, I asked him, has Stephanie accessed her bank accounts, which he didn't hesitate in telling me that she hadn't. Uh, Sadly, as is the case in all of these types of disappearances, there was some speculation And there was actually speculation in a number of national newspapers early on that she may have got cold feet because she was set to get married in a week. And there was some speculation that maybe she decided that she didn't want to marry Aaron and that she'd fled the town. So, yeah, there were those rumours early on, probably more on a national media level, but there weren't many people in Leeton that believed that that would have been something that Stephanie would have done. And the idea that she was a runaway bride sort of went out the window, didn't it, when her car was found abandoned? How did that change things? Yeah, that absolutely did change things. Uh, So there was a number of, um, as I said, national publications. I think one ran a headline, and this was on the day that her car was found, I think it was on the Thursday, they ran front page headline that said bride and seek, insinuating that she was a runaway bride. But yes, her car was found abandoned in a field at Woomoon, which is a tiny little place outside of Leeton, basically just a few farming properties. It's 11 kilometres outside of Leeton and her car was found there and There was no sign of Stephanie. 
and the car hadn't been involved in any sort of accident. So that's when her family and the police really started to think that she may have been a victim of foul play. Something Stephanie's family and the police didn't know at first was that Stephanie wasn't alone on Easter Sunday at Lytton High School. Vincent Stanford, a local 24-year-old man, worked as a cleaner at the school and was lurking around the corridors as Stephanie sat in her classroom. Stanford wasn't even supposed to work on a Sunday. For reasons he's not yet revealed, he was able to somehow obtain that combination to the alarm system and a set of keys to the school. His work was to be completed before and after school hours, 3.30am to 8.30am and 3pm to 6pm. He wasn't supposed to be there while students or teachers were present. But for some sinister reason, Stanford found himself alone in the school with the beautiful young teacher. Sweet Stephanie probably didn't feel any danger before she was attacked from behind while attempting to find her keys in her handbag. As Monique puts it in her book, how tragic that Stephanie's trusting nature put her in such a vulnerable position. Stanford would later tell the police. What exactly happened then? When she finished her work, what did you do? I picked her up from behind, with my right hand over her mouth and my left hand around her middle. I dragged her into the store. I closed the door behind us, chucked her on the floor, and I beat her to death. And before Stephanie was even found, police did zero in on one man, Vincent Stanford. Why did he catch their attention? Well, what happened was the police began to find out where Stephanie had last been seen. So they found out from Aaron that she was going into Leeton High School. They also found out from a colleague that Stephanie had borrowed a key from that colleague to get into Leeton High School. And so they then began to speak to other teachers from the school to find out whether there would have been anyone else at the school on the Sunday. The deputy principal told police that on the Friday he had seen a cleaner who worked at the school, Vincent Stanford. He had seen him at the school on the Friday. Now, Vincent wasn't supposed to be at the school outside of school hours, but he was seen by the deputy principal on the Friday. They also found out from someone else that on the Sunday they saw a white ute parked outside of the school and Vincent drove a white ute. He was a cleaner at the school. He had been for some months, but he should not have been at the school outside of school hours, but he was seen there on the Friday and on the Sunday. What Did police end up arresting and charging Vincent before Stephanie was recovered? They did. So he was actually arrested on the Thursday. So what happened was there were some police officers who went to Vincent's house to talk to him. He lived in a house with his mother and his brother Luke. Now they interviewed Vincent and he told police that on the Sunday One of the things he'd done was to go to a local supermarket. He also told police other things that he'd done on the day. Now, when that police officer went back to the station and gave the statement to the detective, Tim Clark, 
something in it raised a red flag to him. And what that was, was that Vincent said he'd been to that supermarket on the Sunday. And this detective knew that that supermarket was not open on the Sunday. So he asked the officer to go back and to, to go over the statement again with Vincent. And he again repeated that he'd been at that supermarket. When the detective was told this, he told police officers to go back to Vincent's house that night about 6pm and he told them to ask Vincent to accompany them to the police station. When they got to Vincent's house, he wasn't there, but the officers got permission from his mother to search the house. And in Vincent's bedroom, they found a set of keys to Leeton High School. Now, while they were there, Vincent returned home and the police officers asked him where he'd been. He told them that he'd been out taking photographs and when he told them that, they asked him to hand over his camera, which he did. And so the police had a look at the last photos on the camera. There were some that were just taken of places around Leeton, you know, landscape-type photos, but... There were two photos of what appeared to be of a burnt body. The police asked him what were these photos of and he told them and police officers quickly knew that this was a lie, that he'd downloaded the photos from a horror movie. That's when Vincent was arrested and the officers conducted a more thorough search and found some more items that belonged to Stephanie in the house. With all the evidence stacked up against him, including the trophies he'd taken from Stephanie after her murder, Stanford was arrested and charged before her body was even found. But in the early hours of Saturday, April 11th, the day that should have been her wedding day, Stephanie's burnt-out body was located and removed from Kokopara National Park, around 70 kilometres from Leeton. On a day that was supposed to be filled with joy and love and laughter, turned out to be one of the worst days of Aaron and the Scott family's lives. And in another cruel twist, Stanford had decided to take Stephanie's engagement ring from her hand and pawned it off for a couple hundred dollars. It was the last, final blow to the Scott family. Steph's mother Marilyn would say, We were driven to the desolate place where Stephanie had been left, betrayed, violated and burnt beyond recognition. It was confronting to see the ground, charred and disturbed, where the police had used a metal detector to try and locate her precious rings among the ashes. The vision of them being removed from Stephanie's gentle, loving hands sickens us and fills us with despair. And tragically, in, a, in an irony that would break even the toughest of hearts, Stephanie's body was actually found in the early hours of what should have been her wedding day, how did the town and her family react to this news? That's another thing about this story that makes it even more incredible. So I believe it was Friday night, maybe about 5.30 or 6pm, the police revealed that they had found Stephanie's body at Kokopara National Park. That is a national park that's between Leeton and Griffith. It's probably about 
half an hour or a little bit further drive away from Leeton. So basically in Kokopara National Park that night, there were SES and police and there was also media assembled and they recovered Stephanie's body. On uh, the Saturday morning at about 2 a.m., should have been Stephanie's wedding day, but her body was actually taken out of the forest and taken to a morgue. Her fiancé should have been waking up and getting ready to marry the love of his life, but instead he found out what they had all feared, that she was not going to walk down the aisle like he'd dreamed of. And everyone and anyone would not have would not have thought twice if the family just asked for privacy and said, we're going to just gather as a family on today on what should be a celebration. But instead of doing that, and in a real surprise, one of many to come in the way that the family was so stoic and caring like their daughter, they actually invited local residents to join them at the town's local park to remember and celebrate Stephanie on what should have been her wedding day. And that day, hundreds of people came together for a picnic in Mountford Park and they all wore yellow, which was Stephanie's favourite colour. And Aaron was there and Stephanie's family members were there and they spoke about Stephanie and they consoled other members of the community, which was incredible and such, they were just such towers of strength. And the recovery of her body did confirm the fact that Stephanie was murdered and extinguished any hope that she would come home. Through the police interviews with the killer, what did police actually learn about her last moments on this earth? Well, this is a really another sad fact about it. As I said, Stephanie was kind and she was always looking out for others and thinking of others. She was about to leave the school and she saw Vincent and she said, I'm going to go now, have a good Easter. And that was the last thing that she said before he grabbed her and he put his hand over her mouth and he dragged her into a storeroom and sexually assaulted her and killed her. And that just totally breaks your heart because she was just being the kind-hearted person that she was, wishing him a happy Easter, and that's when he decided that he was going to kill her. It's almost unfathomable, isn't it, to think of the utter terror Stephanie would have been feeling in her last moments in this world? It's terrible, and... He later told police that she did struggle and she, she tried to break free and she he had some cuts on him. Um, she tried to scream out for help, but he just overpowered her quite easily. Police were later told that he was quite strong and she was unable to break free, sadly. Did police believe it was a premeditated attack or was it just opportunistic? Well... He maintains that he didn't plan to kill Stephanie. He, When police asked him why, he said that he saw her at the school and he said he had a funny feeling come over him. And they asked him, why were you angry at her? And he said, I wasn't angry. 
I just felt that I had to kill her. So he said that he hadn't planned to kill Stephanie, but that is a fact that is in dispute. One of the reasons is that a few days before he'd uh, put in some searches on the internet. One of the terms was, I think it was bride rape. So that made people wonder whether he had been targeting Stephanie, but he said that he hadn't. However, it was later revealed that he had been stalking a number of other women around Leeton, and he'd also been stalking a 12-year-old girl. He kept an exercise book and wrote things in there about the 12-year-old girl, about times when she was home alone, and in one chilling post in the book, he wrote, home alone, time enough to abduct. Obviously, these women and this young girl, they were lucky that he didn't follow through with some of these evil thoughts that he had. However, he did tell police that he believed if he had have abducted this young girl, that he would have killed her. And then on that note, being that Vincent claims it was opportunistic, if Stephanie wasn't such a selfless teacher, so dedicated, and wasn't there at the school on a Sunday, do you think she'd still be alive, happily married, maybe even with children? Absolutely. And I don't think that there's any way that Vincent could have known that she was going to be at the school. So, yes, I do. I think she'd be still alive. I think she'd still be a teacher. If she wasn't teaching, it'd probably be because she'd be on maternity leave at home with one or two of her own kids. When Vincent Stanford faced court for the assault and murder of Stephanie Scott, the sinister details seemed like they were taken from the pages of a horror story. Can you tell me where you got those scratches from? Several of them are from Stephanie Scott. And how, how did she do that? With her fingernails. And when did she do that? When I tried to kill her. When I killed her. Stanford dragged the beautiful school teacher into a storage closet that was used as a photography darkroom, punched her about 40 times, sexually assaulted her and ended her life by stabbing her in the neck with a knife. He told police that he may have gone a little nuts when he set out to murder Stephanie. He admitted that he wasn't angry with her, but said he knew he had to kill her. The court found that while Stanford was adamant he did not plan the murder in advance, his computer search history included the words, bride rape. Police also found drawings of females, a car, a gun and a sword, as well as a female head with a knife striking it. In a final depraved act, he took pictures of Stephanie's burnt remains, images police later found on his camera. For the murder of Stephanie Scott, you are sentenced to imprisonment for life. In October 2016, Vincent Stanford was sentenced to life behind bars for the murder of Stephanie Scott. Life in jail without parole, means he'll die there. Stephanie's mother said at the sentencing, Stephanie embodied all that is good about humankind. She made a tangible difference to the lives of so many people. Stephanie would want us to resume our lives. We need to be kind to ourselves and let the music and fun back in. We need to be able to fade from public view, to mourn our beautiful girl and work our way through our grief. Can you tell me a bit about Vincent Stanford's trial and his eventual sentencing? Well, what happened was he was obviously charged with her murder. 
he initially denied to police that he had sexually assaulted her, but he later admitted to that. He told police in an interview and he said it so coldly without any emotion or any sense of remorse that he had this feeling that came over him just that he had to kill her. He took her into the storeroom, assaulted her and then killed her. He attempted to clean up the storeroom a little bit, but then he took a break and he went home and he actually ate lunch before going back to the school and further cleaning up the storeroom, which is another shocking fact. The fact that even in that early stages after what he'd done, he sat down and ate some lunch before he went back to the school. He then took her car back to the house that he shared with his brother and mother and he parked it down the backyard and in the cover of darkness that night, he took her body to Kokopara and he burnt it. He had camped at Kokopara National Park before with his family, so he knew it quite well. We know that on at least one occasion, he went back to Kokopara National Park where he had uh, dumped her body and that's when he took the photos. And uh, so after that, he was remanded in custody um, and there was an interesting development that happened with regard to Vincent's other brother. Vincent Stanford is an identical twin. His twin brother's name is Marcus. Now, this was another shock to everyone to learn that Vincent's brother, Marcus, was arrested some months after Stephanie's death and he was charged with accessory after the fact of murder. And what we found out was that he had helped Vincent to dispose some of the evidence that would link him to Stephanie's murder. Now, when it first came out that Marcus had been arrested, there was some initial speculation from locals who had wondered for a long time whether Vincent had acted alone or whether he'd had help. One of the reasons for this was that Stephanie's car was dumped 11 kilometres out of Leeton and people wondered whether someone had actually picked Vincent up and taken him home. This wasn't the case. Vincent had walked home, but he had actually called his brother Marcus after he'd murdered Stephanie and he told his brother, I'm going to send you an envelope in the mail. Hang on to it for me. And we later found out that what he'd sent his brother was Stephanie's license, her engagement ring, and a ring that her parents had brought her when she graduated from university as a teacher. And his brother, Vincent, told him eventually to get rid of them. What Marcus did was he sold the two rings at a pawn shop for about seven or eight hundred dollars and these rings were never able to be returned to Stephanie's family which was another slap in the face to them. Eventually Marcus was sentenced to 14 months which was time served. He was released from jail which angered a lot of people who thought that he should have had a longer sentence for his involvement and eventually Vincent 
was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. In the court, he appeared by a video link. He sat there. He looked very unaffected by the whole thing. He actually was known to have said that he didn't mind being in jail because he liked the solitude it offered because he didn't much like talking to other people and he remains in prison now without the possibility of ever seeing the light of day again. I guess justice being served would have been a small consolation for the Scott family and Aaron, but a lot of people did praise them, as you said, about how they handled this unspeakable loss. Behind closed doors, do you think they really were coping? Yes and no. They tried to always think of Stephanie and tried to go on for her because they know that's what she would have wanted. But her mum spoke really poignantly twice in court in victim impact statements. She actually said there is no joy in life anymore. She said that there's things that we just can't enjoy anymore because our Stephanie isn't here any longer. She said she no longer enjoyed music. She said there'd been times when she wondered whether she could go on and in the first few days after Stephanie went missing, she said that she couldn't eat or sleep. They soldiered on because they wanted to do that for Stephanie, but they were hurting beyond belief. Of course. And why do you think outside of the family, why so many people, including yourself and me, were just so touched by Stephanie and her death and just couldn't stop thinking about what happened to her. Because she was just one of those people. She was a rare gem. She was one of those people that she'd walk into a room and she immediately lit it up with her beautiful smile. She was so kind. She always thought about others before herself. Even with regard to her wedding day, everyone said that Even though it was going to be her big day, all she cared about was that every single person was going to have the best day. She just was so caring, so loving, one of the best, and sadly, sometimes the best do die young, and that's why I think it touched so many people. This past Easter marked five years since Stephanie Scott was cruelly taken from this world. The unspeakable evil hidden in the innocent town of Leeton sent shockwaves through the community. Every single person, whether they knew Stephanie or not, was equally heartbroken and horrified by the crime. Monique says it changed Little Leeton forever. People now lock their doors, close their windows at night, and hug their children just a little bit tighter. But people who knew and loved Stephanie refused to let the horrific way she died be how she is remembered. They want her to be remembered by the way her smile lit up a room, how her kindness and gentle nature was unparalleled, and how she touched the hearts and soul of anyone and everyone she met. And the title of your book, of course, is United in Grief. So it touches on how Leeton changed after this, sort of lost its innocence. Did it change, do you think? Absolutely. As I said, Leeton is a typical small country town. I believe before Stephanie's death, parents were not afraid for their children to walk home from a friend's house at night alone. People had spare keys, you know, under a doormat. They, Some people just said they still didn't lock their doors. 
they felt like they knew most people. Crime like this didn't happen in Leeton. Not much crime happened at all. As I said, perhaps, you know, someone might have had a few two beers at the pub on a Saturday night and get into a bit of a scuffle, but that was really the only type of thing you'd be reading in the local newspaper. So, yes, they were scared and they really became quite guarded and I believe that they are a lot more so than they ever were before and I feel like they always will be. And sadly, with victims of crime like Stephanie, a lot of the time the memories of them are associated with the awful way they were taken from this world. How do you think the Scott family and Aaron want Stephanie to be remembered? They just want her to be remembered as the person that she was, which was someone who was caring, someone who loved to laugh, who loved to listen to music. She loved to spend time with her family. She loved to play board games. She loved to have a cup of tea with a mint slice biscuit. So on milestones, the family often asks people to join them in having a cup of tea and a mint slice biscuit. They want her to be remembered as the beautiful person that she was. And I've covered a lot of stories in my time as a journalist. And you do hear nice words spoken about people when they pass away. But nothing to me has ever been even remotely close to this in the absolutely beautiful words and kind things that people say about Stephanie. I have never heard a bad word spoken about her or I've never spoken to someone that didn't say that their lives were better because they had met her even if it was only for a short time. And your book is really anecdotal about things like that, about who Stephanie was and the beautiful person she was. I imagine you hope your book helps to preserve that memory of Stephanie too, right? I absolutely do. There's a number of reasons that I wanted to write the book. The first was the impact that it had on the small town of Leeton, that evil was hiding in plain sight in a small town. The other reason was because of the incredible tower of strength that the family and Aaron were for so many other people and they supported others when they were going through the worst pain imaginable. And as you said, the last one is is that so that Stephanie's memory is kept alive and people know what a beautiful person she was and that the world is a worse place without her in it. Oh man, this story is so heartbreaking and reading your book brought it all to the surface when it happened in 2015. I remember reading about it and being so horrified by the story. Does that picture of her with the the bride sash on, bride-to-be as well, really touched a lot of people, didn't it? It sure did. There were actually brides who, there was someone who started a bit of a movement. It was put out your dress for Stephanie. So on social media, people brought out their wedding dresses on what should have been Stephanie's wedding in honour of Stephanie. So she really touched the hearts of a nation, not just Leeton and not just people in towns close to Leeton. Thank you for listening to Investigates. If you'd like to read a copy of Monique Patterson's book, United in Grief, it can be ordered on Amazon, Amazon Kindle, on iBooks or Kobo. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review and subscribe. Thank you and see you next time.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.